Johnny's going to be here in uh, probably the second hour. We know that Rick Spurlock is flying. We know that Rick Hergenretter is serving. We know that Chris White is unavailable until either the first or second Tuesday in April, but he is listening online. And uh, um, yeah, Mike wrote to me and said something like, um, I'm in Italy and my wife is with me. And, you know, at that point, I'm just thinking, well, <laughs> you know, stop whining at me. Um, but he was, uh, uh, he was being overwhelmed by, uh, by God's blessing on his business and the opportunity to do all kinds of stuff. So that was uh, good to hear. It was, it was neat stuff. So <coughs> may it be your will, I deny our God, that a mishap not come about through us, and may we not stumble in a matter of law or Torah and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is Tamei that it is Tahor, and not regarding something which is Tahor that it is Tamei. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of the Torah, and we rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God, Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. There is the little munchkin. So uh, she is uh, growing by leaps and bounds, and uh, I appreciate all the prayers and comments and sympathy. That was uh, that was super, guys. Okay. So basically, we want to go through uh, um, a quick review of where we've been with this uh, kosher question. And then um, I'd like us to just kind of tear it apart and see where we stand. Uh, And then uh, after we've hashed it out a little bit, then we'll move on to uh, halakha, the rabbis, and uh, what we're doing. And uh, you're familiar, I think, uh, by now with what that means. Um, it is translated, you shall not boil a young kid in its mother's milk. And uh, I've tried to demonstrate that um, a perfectly adequate uh, translation would be that you shall not cook meat in dairy. And uh, so let's talk about that. The, uh, the shell knots. I love the picture of the pig, by the way. Um, first, the boil versus cook. And uh, bashal is your uh, Hebrew word there. And I think we've demonstrated that it is, it is used to represent any cooking that, uh, or actually anything that, that takes heat. Boil, bake, roast, uh, even ripen, which uh, of course takes heat. And... Uh, all of that. So I think that's a legitimate uh, conversion there, if you would. Young goat versus uh, red meat. I don't know that I did well on that uh, personally, uh, as well as I could have. That's the whole Gedi uh, scenario. I was trying to do it off the top of my head, but really um, the, the word young becomes superfluous uh, when you look at uh, Gedi, as it's translated in all the other references we've got. 
Um, and actually, um, in, in a couple of cases, you've got a Getty of goats. Well, if Getty means goat, why would you get a Getty of goats? Uh, unless it has a, a broader meaning having to do with, uh, um, with just young animals uh, to, be, to begin with. And then finally, uh, I don't think there's any question on the chalev thing, since even in modern Hebrew, um, yogurt, dairy, cheese, all that is, uh, is that, that word there for, uh, for mother's milk. So I'd like to look at some of the pros and cons here, and, and uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to make a straw man argument, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, try- I'm trying not to say, well, Jonathan, you, you disagree with this whole separation thing, so br- give it up, man. You know, let's, let's, let's go to it. So I don't want to put anybody on the spot. So um, let's all just uh, um, try and flip and do the other side of the argument, and maybe we can do it that way, right? Pete, can you just swipe that thing for me once, please? Outstanding. So looking at the pro uh, side of this, or, or maybe on the, uh, the, the side that is in favor of separation, um, we see that much of, of what we read about Hashem and his work, both creative and redemptive, has to do with separating. And we've talked about this before. This should be a good review for you. Um, but we've seen that uh, Adonai separates uh, light from darkness, the waters above from the waters below. He separates the, uh, the waters from the dry land. He, he separates uh, Abraham out from everybody else. He separates out his people from the world or the nations. He separates out the Kohen from everybody else. He separates the Levites first and then the Kohen from the Levites. So it seems to be a consistent thing. Um, he asks us to separate ourselves from the world and to be separate. So I see a consistency there. That, that works for me. Um, is that big enough? Does that get bigger? Whoa. Yeah, huh? So he separates. Comments on that? I mean, you see this as a consistency. Does it have to do with food? Well, maybe. Um, but the fact that Adonai separates, you know, it's consistent. But, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, clearly he's in the subject of not to, <coughs> you're not to marry. Oh, oh good, yes, yes. You know, you're not, uh, you separate the blood. Right. From, from the rest of the stuff that you eat, yeah. Right. Good. Anything else? I know I've got some way here to make it cooler. Here we go. For those of you who may be getting a little warm. You want to talk about the, uh, dietary or? I don't know. When it comes to guidelines, principles that he's given us to do, I would say it's less about separating and more about not mixing. Um, you have the example, don't mix wool and linen. Don't mix... Would you you're, you're putting that in a different category, Joshua? I, I don't. No, I, I, I'm actually. I think this falls in a pros category. I'm right. simply saying that um, when I think separate, you're separating things that have similarity out Abraham, a person, from the rest of the people. 
Okay, well, water I was from light from dark. That's not always the best time. You know. It's less so much on the commands point, though. God doesn't really, he calls us to be separate, but there's less things that he tells us to separate, I think. But okay, yeah, I agree. But not mixing, this is very common. Don't mix wool and linen. Don't mix together the perfume that's used in the temple. Good. Don't mix... Um, this this beans, bunch of colors. Beans, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't mix certain crops together, that kind of thing. So um, I think that while Hashem is one who separates, I think it's more maybe perhaps accurate that he asks us, generally speaking, not to remix what he separated. Okay. I like that. That's good. That's a very good point. I think if you just switch the word between don't you know, separate between the area and don't mix it's the same deal, yeah, and I think that's where he's going. But um, it's all that's all typically. I mean, we have to go instant by instant. But just thinking off the top of my head here, which is all, dangerous, it's, right? <laughs> it's all generally in the context of sanctification. Agreed. Being holy, and that's what holy is. Right. Being so, being set apart as right. as different for him. Sure. Yeah. Good. All right. Other comments? Peter? Okay. Uh, the sages have, uh, have laid this out as the halakha. And um, I think that this is... Uh, oh, you've got my notes. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. They were arguing about um, whether to put poultry on the table with the dairy uh, or consider it uh, with the meat. Um uh, just prior to the master coming on the scene. And I have no idea how long they were separating prior to that, but it seems to have been long enough for them to get past the whole idea of, well, should we separate meat and dairy or not? What does this boiling of the kid in its mother's milk really mean? Uh, They seem to have gotten past that. So um, this is the halacha for for the sages. Comments? Well, you know, we've certainly got the Mishnah telling us that uh, Hillel and uh, Shammai were arguing about that. Um, that's certainly good enough for me to get it to before the Master. Um, but uh, I haven't looked to see if there's anything earlier than that because I, I think normally when you get before zero, you know, on the uh, on the the normal calendar or before 2000. Um, in the biblical uh, time, it's hard to find anything that um, I trust as far as understanding what it says because, you know, it's in cuneiform script or something weird like that, and you got to have some guy with a big-digit nose to tell you, well, this means that, you know, and you're, and you're like, well, well, how do you know, you know? So, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I do think it's interesting that... Uh, We don't have any biblical reference. I mean, it's completely silent. It's, it's an argument from silence on both sides. So either side can use it. Um, but I, I find it curious. Uh, I look at specific things about food that I recall from the mountain uh, to, the, uh, to the second temple. You know, so we're in the middle of this wall to the middle of that wall. And I think, you know, you think of food. What, what comes to mind? Right? The quail comes down, okay. Um, but we don't have any mention that, like, okay, don't milk the quail. Okay, you can't milk quail. All right, so 
what, what, what are we doing for milk there? You know, and it, there's no mention. You know, eat the quail, but uh, we, let's make sure you're not going to be drinking milk or, or making cheese there. And you know, It doesn't say. Um, another thing I think would be Daniel, right? Here's Daniel. He, he doesn't want to eat the king's choice food. What did he ask for? He asked for the veggie sticks and water. water. Not ranch dip, but, but water. I would have been asking for ranch dip. Exactly, yeah. So he's, he's foregoing the meat entirely. Now, you know, we can only speculate. Is he avoiding the meat because they were big on the, on the wild boar, just as they are in Italy, in wine country? Or was it a kosher slaughter thing, you know? And, uh, it could be idolatry, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it seems that this, this whole idea of, you know, the cost of the kosher meat is really not the big issue here. It's really that I can't do meat at all. You know, there's just, there's no place for me to get it. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. In this context, this is one thing that I think that Paul has to struggle with because I think that Daniel's uh, example then becomes a very contentious one in the first century as to whether or not people in the diaspora should be eating all. Right. And um, it's, I think it's important to note that Daniel appears, at least at this, at this time and point, place, was in the court. In other words, I don't get the impression that, you know, he had a lot of access necessarily to lots of places to go and, you know, I've got to go find that good piece of meat. Let's go find the farmer out in the middle of nowhere. He can sell it to me before he offers it to whatever. Yeah, I think in the palace, they're bringing you the food. Yeah. And it's already prepared. He didn't have probably a lot of choices. <laughs> yeah. And I hear with Isaac, the simplest thing then was just give me veggies because I try and argue or debate anything else, I'll get myself in a whole lot more trouble yeah. because the idolatry thing would actually be bad for him. If he's not worshiping their gods, then what is he doing? So yeah. I think that. So veggies more, is easy. It, yeah, I think it was more an issue of wisdom necessarily, halakha, that we have to follow. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's cooked in, it's just straight yeah. vegetables. In. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, hopefully it does have cheese on it, you know, I mean, <laughs> from my perspective, you know, right? Um, I also think of Esther. You know, you got some, you have some serious banqueting going on. I mean, there's a party here that's major, right? Solomon's throwing a party for Sukkot and then just keeps going. And, you know, we've, we've got some major parties happening. Is there, any, um, is there anything from the uh, Apocrypha? I know that, like, Judith, in this Maccabee story, she gives the leader milk to drink. Right. I don't remember any the the whole the whole dairy thing making him thirsty and, yeah, and all that I don't but any, or cheese you gave him cheese to eat yeah. that's what it was and then he gets thirsty because wine he falls asleep right I don't remember there being any reference necessarily to him having like a hamburger ahead of time right yeah plus I mean since he was an enemy right. it really didn't matter he's a pagan anyway but right. you know it's a good point but you know <laughs> would she have even thought of broken holica, breaking halakha for a gentile you know I don't know yeah. Yeah, it's Again, it's all from silence, and no matter what we look at here, there doesn't seem to be an argument until you get closer uh, to the days of, of Herod uh, and the Maccabees. But certainly we, we have the Mishnah making it clear that uh, they had already wrestled with the issue prior to the Master coming on the day. Oh, good question. Yes, sir. Um, we were talking about uh, a couple of where I was kind of asking questions about the restaurant and how I should go about certain things, asking certain questions. Well, let's just say, and back in the time of the Old Testament, where you have the Jews and you have the Gentiles, where 
Greg made a good point where you wouldn't want to encourage somebody to, we would not personally want to encourage someone to. You mean if they're coming out of the pagan practice and they're now starting to practice Judaism? Not, even if it's not, <laughs> even if it's some normal pagan, it's, it's, Yeah, I mean, my, my, my point in that discussion was to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to encourage anyone, whether they're believe, or a believer or not a believer, to do something contrary to the Word of God, as, Good. I, as I understand. Good. Now, if they're a pagan, they're not under Torah. Right? Mm-hmm. They haven't submitted themselves to Torah, right. because Torah is a covenant relation, you know, that's mm-hmm. part of the covenant relationship. So if you're a total pagan, you're not worried about any of this stuff, right? right. Because you're, you haven't submitted yourself to God, right? Now, that the Torah that you aren't submitted to will judge you on mm-hmm. it. Right. Right. Which is why, you know, Shaul talks about the Torah, you know, it's life and or, or, or death. Depending right? on, on well, which, which side of that deal you're on. Right. And what I was going to get to is, yeah. okay, so you have the Jew at that time where, I mean, do they look at it as, I can't encourage somebody to do it because I know that it's wrong. So, do, do they care? Does it matter to them? Because I guess, you know, when they say you can't eat anything that doesn't have a die from natural death, but you can give it to a sojourner. So, does that matter? Yeah, so does that mean it doesn't matter? Well, if you're not to encourage well, I think, I think the connotation, though, there is that I think I, I've always understood, maybe I'm wrong. The connotation there is that the thing that died is still a clean animal, but okay. it died of a natural cause as okay. opposed to being killed. Okay. So I'm not sure if the possum you just hit, you know. <laughs> Really but if the deer comes out of nowhere, then that you would really encourage even a gentile to pick the possum up and take it up. But, but even then, uh, while it may be clean, it's still not food for you. Right. Right. While it can be food for yeah. him, so it's yeah. it's a good balance. I, I think uh, I think throughout the scripture, it, it there doesn't seem to to me uh, to be an extraordinarily strong emphasis on trying to get pagans to appear or to live like believers. I just don't see that. It's in, but nor is there equally a strong discouragement. Uh, agreed. In fact, that would be contrary to the mandate that God gave God's people, right? Well, there to be a light, there to be a light, and, and I think if I were to look back in history, uh, aside from the Master, um, I would look to Hillel, as being so generous and so open and caring to say to the Gentile, hey, you know, you want to learn? I'm willing to teach, you know. Um, we didn't see him pounding on doors trying to say, you're living like hell and you're going to burn in it too. Um, so we don't see evangelism like we think of it. No, but there, but there was an evangelistic sense, because the Master even refers to the fact that they go to the other side of the planet trying to make a convert. But there didn't appear to be um, from, the, from the everyday Jew walking around, bumping into the pagan in the market and going, you know, you really shouldn't be eating that crap. What's wrong with you? It, it wasn't a judgmental thing. It may or perhaps should have been more of a, you know, God really, whatever the case might be. He goes to Mark Hill because they ask him. Right. He's not standing on the street corners, you know, right. outside the temple to whoever. Exactly. Yelling at people as they go in. Exactly. 
And, and, and if one more thing, if I could, just on to that point, if we then go to Acts 15, you know, it's it's not like there was a whole lot of, it doesn't seem there was a whole lot of time and days and days of discussion about what they should tell the brand new Gentiles. It seemed pretty clear. Well, I mean, you know, we got some, some quick bottom line kind of things that should set you apart um, so you can <laughs> at least eat with the rest of us kind of thing. But all the way back to Abraham, there's, there was a traditional understanding that Abraham was evangelizing to a certain extent. Well, even, even the guys in his home, right? Yeah, and he circumcised everybody in the house, which must have been a real surprise for those servants. Yes, sir? Do you want me to do what? <laughs> Think about you know, this whole uh, dynamic of evangelism preaching or what have you, and, you know, thinking back to Abraham uh, in terms of God's promise that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, yeah. well, that blessing could only have happened through Yeshua. Right. So I'm thinking that maybe there wasn't a great evangelistic movement before Yeshua. Uh. I would I would argue that only because you, know, you you start to fall into a dispensational trap, Ryan. I mean, if we're we've got Abraham over here, and to say there's no evangelism until the master's on the scene implies that nobody got saved. But we know that not to be true, right? Because you didn't need the cross for people to be saved, because they were saved looking forward to that cross, just as we're saved looking back to the cross. So. Limit the blessing that comes from Abraham's seed to just the Messiah, which obviously is the bulk of the, the deal. The, the culmination of the blessing is the Mashiach, right? But, but I, I would argue that I mean the the Torah itself, right? The Torah itself was God entrusted the oracles of God to... to. No, I, I would even back up. You're exactly right, but I would even back up prior to that and say, well, Joseph, here is the seed of Abraham saving the entire world from sure destruction through famine. Right? we got it all over the place. And you can even go to the point where the traditional uh, tradition regarding Mount Sinai is that God actually offered it to the Torah to the nations first, and they all found things to pick with they didn't like. You know, yeah, Esau, I'm, I'm, trying, said, I'm trying to find those guys so I can mess with them. Yeah, Esau yeah. said, I, you know, you, what, so you can't, can't kill anybody? Oh, that's not going to work for me. And, you know, Ishmaelites, <laughs> Ishmaelites said, no stealing, oh, that's not going to work for us either. So it was only the, the people of Israel who said, all that you have said we will do. So, but the idea being that, that um, God's intent was to use the people of Israel to reach the world. That's what Deuteronomy 4 is all about. He says, it will be your wisdom to the nations. He wants the nations to be looking at it and going, Wow, what kind of a God did they serve? Yeah, we need we need some of that. And Yeshua says, "Let your light shine." And on the of the Beatitudes, I mean, he's speaking to an audience that's Jewish. You know? Absolutely. And so, yeah, yeah, I see that. And just to point out historically, there's a lot of Gentiles that are uh, that are coming up to the temple. Even. I mean, well, you know, we've we've talked about the fact that the court of the Gentiles was ginormous. G-I-N-O. All right. Uh, let's uh, move on. Oh, longstanding. Um, yeah, it, it seems to be longstanding enough that, you know, they're, they're not arguing about whether or not to do it or not. Uh, it's, it's what to do with the, uh, with the chickens, uh, which t- to me is... <laughs> 
it seems inconsequential to me, but uh, you know, um, that's just because I'm a noob. Um, Yeshua and the Prushim, I think, is uh, is a pretty good argument. Um, did all of the uh, Pharisees or the Prushim uh, separate? Uh, we don't know. Um, we we would assume so, since they are the forerunners of rabbinic Judaism as we know it today. So, um, I guess bottom line, uh, you know, let's assume yes. The, the, the two major schools of Pharisees, we know from the Mishnah that the founders of both schools were we we know they were separating absolutely because they're the ones that are that are uh, that are going through the question about the poultry so um, that's the deal there so if if we can assume then that the prushim by and large their sect is separating and as we read is has the strictest halakha and um, and are known uh, and in extra biblical texts are known for not eating with the Am Haaretz. They're not eating with the people of the land. Then uh, the fact that they invite more than once Yeshua to eat at their tables is extraordinary. Now, um, I, I think, you know, if we look at the other side of this argument, okay, before you all separated, before any of you who are separating separated, you know, um, and you got invited over somebody's house that was, no big deal, right? Because you're not doing the food, you're being given the food. So what do you got? Uh, you got a hamburger. You didn't get a cheeseburger, you were given a hamburger. Eat the hamburger. Gee, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, ranch dip to put on my, on my hamburger. Oh, we're all at a ranch dip, you know. There's no ranch dip on the table. So could... He have eaten and separated while he was with the Prushim, even though it wasn't his normal practice. Absolutely. But there's, a, there's an underlying problem with that argument. And the problem is? They wouldn't have eaten with him. <coughs> Nor would they have gone the extra step and invited him to their home. It just wouldn't have happened. It's just not the way the culture was. So I think that one's pretty strong. And yet... You still got the argument from silence, the assumption, just as with uh, um, thanking God for his provision before we eat. We get that from Judaism. We didn't make that up. They always do that. Otherwise, they're stealing the food. So that's a wonderful thing. It's a great tradition. It's a great practice. And we know it happened. We know it was happening. We know the master did it. How do we know? It doesn't say. <coughs> so, um, that's, that's the deal there. So, I, I, I think we can, uh, we've got some good arguments. But again, there's, there's weaknesses on each side. We look at the other side. Um, you know, the, the, the strongest argument uh, that we've heard is that, you know, this was uh, based on cult practices of the day. And they weren't to emulate those cult practices. There's a fundamental logical flaw with that argument. What is it? Irrelevant. Irrelevant. I think the sort. I think the the, the fault with that argument is that it was later found out when they reexamined the language. Irrelevant. Well, I guess it's it not. That's not what it says. It doesn't say irrelevant. 
irrelevant, even if they did. But regardless of the motive, it's still, it would still be a commandment. That's the logical argument. Flaw. The logical flaw is that it's not relevant. Even if it was a cult practice, even if it was proven that it was, or later it's proven that it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether it was a cult practice. He doesn't give us commands to say, you know, for the next 30 years, you're going to be in with these people. They do. They, they burn their children to Molech. It's, oh, this is terrible and despicable. You can't do that. Well, now that there's no Molochites left, and, you know, those, you know, those people are gone, well, now you can burn your kids. Right? No, it doesn't work that way. His commandments, all of them, are timeless. And they change the culture regardless of where we are. So the idea that it was or was not a cult practice is completely irrelevant to me. Although it's very cool that we've got some insight as to perhaps why God gave that command to his people in the first place. I was going to let you go through because I have been going back and studying that alternate interpretation. Cool. Pete, is everybody okay on a cult practice we understand? I mean, it's just that's not a that's not a valid argument. It's a quick review. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. No. Oh man, now you got both in a minute. Can you back up one? No. <laughs> All right. So the uh, the next point is that it's it's a burden, right? That you know, this is what this is what Stephen was talking about. This is what Peter was talking about on the day of Pentecost, right? I mean, come on. Our fathers have put a burden and a, a burden on us that is just too heavy to bear. And you guys want to keep it up. For goodness sakes, let's have cheeseburgers, muzzle top. You know. No. Right, what? What was a burden? Well, for me, when I first started, it was a burden having to follow these which commandments? But that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter has to be talking about the rabbinic add-ons, right? He has to be. Because Paul makes it clear. The Master makes it clear. Come on. Take my yoke upon you, and the yoke throughout the Talmud is a reference to the commandments. Take my yoke upon you because it's light. It's not a burden. So. But that's not what Peter's saying. He's saying you're putting on them a burden that even our fathers couldn't bear. Well, we know they could bear the Torah. Although, personally, I don't see the burden <coughs> passage apostolic scriptures really discussing halakha, day-to-day practice. And the reason I say that is because when Yeshua critiques the Pharisees, he highlights the fact that they're tithing things to go way beyond any, any understanding of, I mean, it was the extreme halakha on tithing. They're tithing spices, yeah. which no one didn't even have to do. Because they're like, they grow in the garden, it's not right. like yours. Okay. Um, but he actually doesn't tell them to... That's way too tough, guys. We need to lighten up. Right. He says, you should do, do the more important things, but do those also. Right. And in his critique of the Pharisees, he says, don't do what they say, but do what they do. So, I'm sorry, for that, reverse that. Don't do what they do, do what they say. In other words, they're not doing what they say, but you should do what they say. Hence, I don't think that when in Acts 15, they're talking about a burden that neither us nor our fathers could bear, is referring necessarily to the Holocaust. Then what is it? 
I think that the focus is much more on, um, I think it has more to do with the idea of entrance requirements. It has much more the idea of, of the burden of the significance, maybe that's being attached to these things. Because what's the argument that you give to that? The Pharisees are saying, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to do X, Y, and Z to be part of the group. But, but you know what? Their fathers <laughs> did that and had no choice in that. Their fathers had to be circumcised. So, so what part of it was the burden that their fathers couldn't bear if it wasn't halakhic? I'm thinking more on the lines of, um, my only thought would be if Peter was more commenting on the idea of it being a burden more so because of its rationale behind the commandments instead of the commands themselves. In other words, when you give people rationale to be part of the group, you got to do X, Y, and Z, that's a burden. And it is, because your motive is not love of God. Your motive is, if I don't do this, I'm cut out. I'm not part of the group. I understand what you're saying, but the reference to the fathers negates that argument. That we, nor our fathers, could bear. It has to be, it can't be getting into the group. They are the group. Maybe what it is, is this, this ridiculousness of, well, I can't go in his house. I, I, I can't go in the Praetorium. If I go in that building, because it's owned by this guy, I can't eat Passover. Now, I would say that is one heck of a burden. It's a divisive halakha. Precisely, yeah. But, but again, I think it's some kind of halakha, I would, I would think. Yes, sir? I think uh, when the Master talks about them saying that they sit in the seat of Moses, I think that clearly refers to them making judgments. Sure. And I think that the Binding and saying to the Talmudian that they need to submit to their authority. Sure. But then we need to balance that out with, this, uh, with the other words of our Master that said, beware of the leaven of the portion. Yeah. So, I mean, we have to balance that out. I mean, there's some, but, but, some but I, that, 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 in effect, nullify the Word of God. Well, I think when the Shulahim, the apostles, come on the scene, that they are given that authority to bind them. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't doubt that. But I, I would question if, if, if we're saying that, they're, that he was implying that the Halakha was wrong. Because in... in in, uh, you know, we can juxtapose that with other passages where he says, of the, of the Pharisees, the righteous don't need, the ones that are healthy don't need a physician. So he lifts them up on a regular basis. Oh, I'm, so, not, I'm, not con- I'm saying it's a balance. I'm, just, I'm yeah. not saying that I condemn the Pershim, but there were some aspects of, of their doctrine, 11, the that Pharisees, that he... He was he was really I, I, I upset with. He commanded them in other cases, like you indicated. Yeah, and and, and smacked him pretty hard. And smacked him pretty hard on others. Well, I think the eleven of the Pharisees is just simply hypocrisy. I think Matthew twenty three. I I think he in we had a long until about four o'clock in the morning discussion on Matthew twenty three. <coughs> and at the end of the day, where I what my current view is is that. All Yeshua was doing in Matthew 23 is simply acknowledging the authority that they have. And that's why he says, do what they say to do, because they were teaching, they were teaching the Torah, they were teaching the commandments, they were, they were teaching the right things. The letter of the Pharisees is that they weren't doing what they were teaching. In other words, they were being hypocritical, which is which is what that if you keep reading Matthew chapter twenty-three, he you know, he goes on and gives specific examples. You know, you're broad and you're flattered, you lengthen your zeet seat, it's all about you want to be seen in the community as holy, and you know 
which is all attitudes that are contrary to the Torah. That right, because it seems to be a whole pride thing. It's a humility. It's a pride and a lack of humility and uh, the, the simple fact that they weren't actually uh, doing what they were teaching. They simply weren't, in, the, in our vernacular, they weren't practicing what they were preaching at yeah. some level, and he's, and he's taken up to task on yeah. that. And that coincides, Greg, with the uh, um, illustration the Master gave about the publican and the Pharisee in prayer. Right, right. I think in large part he was also holding them to a higher level of accountability. I mean, much like you would with any guy in this room if you saw somebody stepping out of line, um, if you saw someone else whom you knew nothing about their values and their, their relationship with God, that's a good point. You would you would also you would you wouldn't think twice yeah. about it because you don't know where they stand. Yeah. But if you know that someone is intentionally and purposefully and diligently and piously walking out their relationship with God, then you know he's kind of raising the bar here. Sure. Like, you guys know better. Yeah, you it's know better. it's not that uh, that the the standard is different. Exactly. Is that the expectation is different. Sure. So that's, that's a good point. Joshua. The Levin issue, I think one, one interpretation I've heard from Christian Zion, they link some of the passages. He says also to beware the Levin of the Sadducees and of Herod, or the Herodians. Um, and issue, or the first Zion interpretation of this is that the Levin was actually linked to their sort of um, immediate vision of this conquering messianic figure who was going to obliterate mm-hmm. Rome or mm-hmm. condemn in power or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he was actually warning them more, not so much about anything I think with halakha. It was more a focus on um, don't get don't get ahead of the boat here on on who I am because you've got these other groups that are all looking for me to be the second coming now, yeah. and it's not that way. Well, that's a that's a that's a great it's perspective. The, the three groups actually agreed on. Yeah, that's a that's a great perspective. I would I would want to go back and look at all the uh, statements about that and see. But you're right; it is one of the very few things. That all three of those groups agreed on, right, upon which they agreed. Interesting interpretation, but uh, I'm looking at the actual Greek, and uh, when in, in the following, in the subsequent verse, when uh, you know it says that the Talmudim understood that he was referring to the teaching, it's translated in, in English teaching, but the word is actually didache, which I thought was kind of weird. Uh, but it actually translates; it means teaching that which is taught doctrine. So it's not talking idiomatically about hypocrisy. Although hypocrisy is part of it. Well, but you got to so read the whole context. Right. The, the, whole, the word in context. Read the whole cha- if you read the rest of the chapter, the whole rest of the chapter is, he's pointing out where they're being hypocritical. Yeah. So the context, you know, we can't just look at <clears throat> verses 1, 2, and 3. we got to look at verses 1, 2, and 3 in the context of the whole. Yeah, the, 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 the teaching, the teaching in, in light of the actions and, and the the talk in light with the do or doing good. All right, and uh, this must be the anachronistic one. Yeah, um, yeah, and this this was raised before that uh, you know the the evidence that you know possibly the evidence that uh, separation was going on um, prior to the master, and then he just uh, kind of went along with it, or some would say influenced it and superintended it and then lived it, um, depending on your perspective, um, but that the evidence is anachronistic and that actually it's, it's from much farther after the, the master and uh, looking back and made to appear as if it were um, back that time. But 
you know, we trust the Mishnah uh, as being a reliable source of historical dialogue, and, and I, I think we're okay on that. So I don't know if that one holds a whole lot of water. And this one is probably the biggest one, and this is where I was for so long. And, and I'd like to have some good discussion on this one and not just blow it off. I, and, and I, I admitted this to, to Greg not too long ago, which turns out to be quite a while ago. Um, but um, these three times that we read the phrase that we're discussing, um, I have always read it and said one of two things in my head and in my heart. First, I promise I will never take a, a small little goat and find its mother's milk and bring it to a boil and boil this little fella in that. Second, I, since I don't... I just saw a goat, by the way, in pictures. You know, the Hackett's came uh, last Shabbat and we saw pictures of goats. Saw my first goat. Really... Cute little fellas, actually. Um, they didn't bring the goat. They didn't bring the goat. Um, but I, I, I'm not. I'm not the one who's normally cooking here in the in the house. Um, we don't normally um, boil goats. But you know, I was just sort of. Thank you. Yeah, I was just sort of, you know, uh, flipping it off. Uh, Offhandedly, um, in that it didn't really apply to me. So my mindset every time I looked at this for many, many years is this certainly doesn't apply to me or I really don't know what that means. It certainly can't mean what it, I think it means because that's stupid. So I don't know what it means. So I'll ignore it. I just won't address it. And my ignorance will give me a buy with God. Now, I don't know if that's where you are. And to be perfectly frank with you, I don't know if separation is what it's all about. It's the best interpretation I've heard, and I'm going to go with it. I figure there's something here that can happen now. Because I'm actually doing something with this command. Now, God can use that divine two-by-four and say, are you out of your mind? I never meant for you to do that. It has to do with birthday cards and sweating when you're putting postage on envelopes. How about that for off the top of my head? So, um, so again, two things. I, it, it doesn't apply to me. Or I don't get it. And therefore, I don't need to do anything. Joshua. Since you're listening to cons, and I'm not speaking for or against here, I'm something. Genghis or otherwise, yes. Um, it, does, it is translated, the traditional don't boil a kid to split his milk, by art scroll in English. Yes. So since they're the Hebrew experts, that's a very logical interpretation. Not arguing with your interpretation, because sure. being someone who's sure. been Hebrew myself, I agree that I think that yours can work. Yeah. I'm just saying that the, the straightforward one seems to be the traditional view. And, and has always been, down through the ages. Then, further, there are a couple other commands that do link um, 
mothers and children in cooking or in eating. Like, for example, if you find a nest in the, in the, in the room, sure. you can take the eggs, you can't take the mother bird. For, for those of you who are perhaps new to this walk, what is unique about that commandment? It is considered by the sages to be the least of the commandments. It is number, I don't know what number it is, but if you, if you put them in order of uh, importance, it's 613, all right? The idea that if you come across a, uh, a nest with some eggs in it and the mother bird is there, you have to shoo away the mother bird before you can take the eggs. That's important for us to know since the Master mentions it in Matthew chapter 5. and says if you teach, uh, if you break even the least of these my commandments and teach others to do the same you shall be the whale dung sweeper in the kingdom or whatever the least is yes and continue in addition to that there's also a command I believe against killing a, a um, cow and its calf on the same day um, so in other words there is definitely a link between not when it comes to killing things for food yeah. not killing the parent and the child at the same time so I can understand Again, not saying yes or no, but yes. I understand the argument that says the do not boil kindness but this milk is linked more to that. That it's less about eating a cheeseburger and more about separating yeah. the mother and the parent, I mean the parent from the child aspect of it, as, a, as a point of compassion. Sure, and, and I think that's a, that's a noteworthy explanation. Um, and not to discount it entirely, but my first reaction is if I wanted to express that to my people and make sure they got it, I think the way it's presented in the English Bible is probably the only way I would choose never to write it. That boiling milk, mother's milk, and kid, uh, you know, just to me does not ring, you know, let's, let's not kill mom with the baby at the same time, Right? Um, second, I would suggest that um, the whole eggs and mother bird thing um, doesn't speak of heat, doesn't speak of milk, and is strictly the parent-child thing. So um, this one seems to have some uniqueness to it that we don't see elsewhere. But um, I like it, and it, it can play in it. So I, I guess from a purely practical perspective then I would ask you if that's what it means um, it, you know how we are right you know we, we got to tear it up and come up with step by step so what can you do or not do on Shabbat well you can't smooth rake you know pull tear you know in the 39 millicote right um, and we get this from the description of how to build a tabernacle. So I've got this description of boiling kids and mother's milk, and I'm just wondering practically then how do I apply this in my life from uh, well, I would just from say perspective? That along those lines, um, it does have less of an impact insofar as we're not farmers, but there's definitely application. Like for example, I, I in light of this issue, I was more hesitant about some foods that are meat boiled in milk. Like, for example, if you've ever had... Um, stroganoff. Uh, oh, that's an option. Stroganoff or the... Uh, uh, Especially if it's beef chicken stroganoff. Steak. Chicken fried steak does the same thing. Okay, yeah. There's a couple different items. So then it's like, you know, I'm really not sure where the milk came from or where the meat came from, for that matter. Sure. Might want to not do that together. Um, so 
that's one application. Another Good. application is if you're in a farming community, the potential for mixing the, the mother's milk with the meat is actually very possible. Sure. And in the same sense that the bird command is not something that most of us will run into every day, but it's still a command that's given. Yeah, I don't have a problem with, being, with it being unique to farmers. Love farmers, farmers to death. But I have studied now since last week's class, and I can't find anywhere in, on, on the planet, in any website, in any historical document, anywhere of any community at any time, milking individual animals and keeping the milk separate. So it's virtually impossible that any farmer at any time in history could ever know that he was violating this command unless he specifically didn't mix the meat with any milk. Well, I think that that's, I guess, the one, the one other perspective is that there could be a middle ground response to this command, which is that you shouldn't maybe cook the meat and milk together, but eating them in the same meal is not as much of an issue. That's just another possibility. So the cheeseburger is not a problem. But the stroganoff is. But the stroganoff would be. Now that, to me, would be a practical way of, of living this out. And I like that. And yeah. the biggest problem with that argument is the fact that I don't necessarily see that as practice at any point. The only right. argument in my mind from practice for the people who seem to know best has been to completely separate them. Right. And the biggest, in fact, the fact that they had arguments about what to separate or how long to separate. Or even what to put on the table at the same time as another. Whether or not to separate. Yeah. To me, seems to be a pretty heavy argument that that's the correct. Argument. Yeah, but now, now we're now we're arguing the sages again, and not the actual text. But you've given a good example, and uh, a good practical way that we can do it. Um, I think to your last point, it may just be the case that the sages said, "Don't even eat them together," just as a means of making sure. You know, did they put the cheese on that burger while it was still on the grill, or were they, you know what I mean? It's a, that kind of thing. Okay, I got you, and then I got you. Go ahead. I have I have real difficulty with the rabbinic exegesis on this passage. It, to me, it doesn't really matter how ancient it is. I think it started at some point. Because well, we know it started at some point. We all know it started at some point. It started at some point. Yeah. And then, as uh, as and did the world. Even in, in the first century, there were Judaisms. You know, Judaism was Absolutely. monolithic. Absolutely. Uh, mean, there were different schools. There's Beit Shemai, Beit Hillel. So I think the issue is uh, going back to animal cruelty. But uh, this alternate interp- interpretation is I'm saying that in the Hebrew, we don't have the actual balls. So it may not be chalev, it may be chalav. It may be saying, do not cook the kid in, its, in, its, uh, in the, the fat of the mother. That means to execute them both on the same day. And I see this as a very viable alternative, because uh, now we've got, the t- uh, we've got three citations, two of which are in Shemot, in Exodus, and one which is in Deuteronomy, or Devarim. Uh, and then if we tie that with the passage in Leviticus 22, uh, 28, where it says you shall not uh, you know, kill the calf in its mother the same day, it, it all fits to me. So, so I would say that uh, the practical application for me would be, since I'm not keeping livestock and I'm not you know, into animal husbandry, <laughs> then I'm keeping it. Okay, so you believe then, from what I'm hearing, then uh, the interpretation is, is all about the killing and not about the eating. Um, so then, as far as draining the blood out of the animal when it dies, doesn't really matter then, because how it died is not important. 
or no. is how it died important? Is how it died important? Yes. Well, I thought you just said that how it died wasn't important no, no, no. because you didn't kill it. So is how it died important enough to make sure that whoever killed it did it right? You see what I'm saying? Well, the command is to take the life. It's talking well, no, no, the no, person no. who's taking the life. Catch my argument. You're, if I understand your, your perspective, and I appreciate you coming at me. That's good. Um, if I understand what you're saying... How it died is not important to you in, 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 in this interpretation um, that you're, you're testing the water on because you're not killing animals. Yes, I would ask you a question then. Well, let me finish. Well, let me finish. Let me finish. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. How it died is not important because you're not the one doing the killing. Yes. If that's true, then how it died... The scripture actually speaks to how it died, whether you killed it or not, because if it dies of itself, you can't eat it. So you have to know how it died in order for you to keep the commandment in more than one case. First, you have to know that it was killed and the blood was drained. And second, you need to know that it didn't die of itself. So how it died is critical regardless of whether you killed it. So I don't know if your argument is holding there for that. Was that the argument? I think his argument was, it doesn't matter how it died because I'm not the one doing the killing. But I didn't see that that was the main... The main Although I think that the... the I'm just going to throw out there, I'm going to assume it's probably unlikely that there's very many times in a slaughterhouse today in America where they're killing mother and calf together, theoretically. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I would say that if we're in a kosher butcher... And he's going to go, and he's, you know, he, he, he lays his hand on the top of the cow's head, and he takes that big, sharp knife, and he brings it near, and the cow opens his eyes big, sees the knife, and has a coronary, and drops dead right there. I'm, I'm fairly confident that shochet will not let that get processed. So, but... Maybe I missed it. Pete's, Pete's on, Pete's, Pete's, hang on now, guys. Pete's, Pete's picking on me because a lot of times I'll, I'll just argue and I'll miss, completely miss the point. And, and then, you know, two hours later he comes up to me and goes, you, know, you were pretty stupid there. You completely missed his argument. So what, what was the argument, son? No, I don't want to put words in Mr. Vermillion's mouth. Well, then you give me the words and we'll leave Mr. Vermillion alone. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I'm very confused at where you were going because... It sounded to me like Mr. Vermillion's argument was a different interpretation. We're waiting to hear what you thought Mr. Vermillion's argument was. Go ahead. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> different interpretation on the verse that's mentioned. And what time. was that interpretation that was mentioned three times? And it was, a, it was that the, we don't have the vowels, right. so it could mean something else yes. to the effect of... Fat instead of dairy. Right. right. To the effect of that we shouldn't... Kill them together. Kill them So together. it's consistent with the other ones. So Consistent with the other verses, yes. Right? Right. So, so what his, what his bottom logical argument, bottom line is then, it doesn't matter how the, the, the animal died to him, he said, because he's not practicing animal husbandry and he's not running a farm. So how it dies is not relevant to him because he's not killing animals. But what about... Well, it is relevant. It's not it is that relevant. it's not relevant. Talk about the first part. He wants to keep the commandments. It's, right. it's not saying that, that we shouldn't worry about how it dies because we already know from the Torah 
And we need to worry about it. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's not. It's not like he's saying we don't have to worry about anything. Okay, okay, I got you. So let's, thank you. So let's try this then. I'll I'll get to all of you, I promise. (laughs) Sometime before midnight. Um, So let me see if I get this now. So it does matter how it died. It's not that it doesn't matter, and it's not that you're not killing it. It does matter how it died. But the fact that, I guess what I'm hearing you say is, here in 2012, you've actually figured out exactly what it means. So for at least 2,000, maybe 2,500 years, the sages had it all wrong, and you figured it out that the animal can't be killed with its parent. (coughs) Well, they already do that, right? Different argument. So, so we are. They already do that because there's another command that has that involved. So I guess the question now is, why would we need a second command that says the same thing as the first command? Specifically about cooking, not about. Well, he didn't bring up the cooking part. No, he was talking about the the cooking. So you can't cook it with the fat, but we're not allowed to eat the fat anyway. So, so anyway, there we go. All right. Outstanding. You know what? You know what I like about him? He's thinking. Exactly. Yeah. What I appreciate about that is, I I always hear people poo-poo, you know, the the traditional explanation because it's from the sages. Yeah. You know, rabbis, right? Right. <laughs> but nobody ever offers any A viable viable explanation. Any even viable alternative. Yes. You know, and at least you've made an attempt to offer a viable alternative, which I happen to disagree with, but I applaud <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I tell you what. That, that's, that's what it's about. That is exactly what it's about. And, you know, just to make sure that, you know, I didn't mess everybody up here, Ken's point, you correct me if I'm wrong, not you, <laughs> is that the word at the end, kalav, may be kalev, or kalev, it could be kalav, and therefore is not dairy as much as it is fat, and there is, therefore is more consistent with other commands, such as Joshua was saying, that has to do with killing with another animal. I think... Go ahead. Did you have something? I do, but it's not related to this stream. Then we'll wait on that. Yes. And I... I, of course. We love Ibn Ezra. He's a good man. So what did it? What, what did Ibn Ezra? I, I'm really not a Philo fan, but what did Ibn Ezra say? I can. I can. I don't have to quote. But he was same kind of deal. Good. I think you went already. So let me give him one. Then you come back to you. Yes. I guess the the uh, I like the halal versus halal. But I guess the, the one thing that I would question is uh, if we're going to question the vowel pointers on that, then we have to question the vowel pointers on every word in the Torah. Because the only reason we know what the vowels are is because the people of the book kept it. The vowels. Kept it. So what you're saying then is is that we cannot rely on any of the yeah. vowelization of yeah. anything. If, if you pull the string on the end of the sleeve, the you, you lose the garment. Right. You lose the garment. So, so at some point we have to be willing to, tr- to 
trust because I don't know how it's yeah, to exactly right. You've got to be willing to trust yeah. that, the, that the folks who we know meticulously kept the preservation of the text for millennia <coughs> were just as diligent in, in, in this word. In the volumization yeah. Yeah. when that came yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think. Maybe not. Okay. Yeah, I know, but it's but the, the same deal. Because I haven't been arguing with myself. Yeah, yeah, this is good. Are you, are you, are you negating your first, previous argument? No, no, no. Oh, because that's really fun. <laughs> option A, option B, back to A minus, A, B minus. Yeah. The, um, attaching to his comment, one of the arguments you could put that, that supports the idea that it's more focused on compassion and less focused on uh, the adult and child, yes. less focused on eating, is the somewhat random placement of this command. Yes. I mean, as one, one example, it. Um, it, it's mentioned after, at the end of his long chapter, and all these different, different, uh, various commandments, and it's associated right after, like, come up to the festivals. Yeah, two of them, so, two of them are actually associated, and Ken brought that up last week, two of them are on the heels of Bikarim. So, one argument... Boom, boom, that, and they're identical. One argument that can be made, then, is that the context doesn't seem to be so much eating... Uh, and so there's two sides to that. One was the, the cultic one we mentioned earlier, because yeah. it's linked to the festivals. Right. The other would be, um, in the compassion point, is in a sense, God's saying, why is this little food command here, or whatever, cooking command, um, highlighted? It's, it's more about the idea that, because, because compassion, even to animals, is that significant of a virtue of God. God is a compassionate God. Um, and so therefore, this is a significant issue it's intriguing that if it's related to eating, just purely eating, like yeah. as, as the meat and dairy separation issue, yes. that God chooses to list that command and not to put in, like, don't eat pork there. Because it's mentioned, like I said, as, as though it were an encapsulated command that covers an entire spectrum of things. Okay. Yeah, a couple of comments on that. Um, first, um, I do think that there is some validity, if we want to tie it with the Bikarim summation, uh, that it could possibly have more to do with preparation for leaving for the pilgrimage festival, uh, you know, going up, and, you know, preparing your food for, for travel, perhaps, um, and, and, and could be associated with that. I do think that the arguments I'm hearing leave out the fact that it really has absolutely nothing to do with compassion, because this is cooking, not killing. Therefore, the animal doesn't know. At least we can assume the animal doesn't know. To follow up on that, I mean, I'm doing a bit of a counterintuitive argument here, maybe the sages to argue against the sages. But um, <laughs> the sages do comment, like, for example, the uh, do not ascend steps to my altar. One of the points they make on that is actually so that not to expose yourselves to the stones, which, of course, to us sounds ridiculous. But the idea being that even in dealing with an inanimate object, there's a certain degree of respect there because it is God's creation. And so, in the so you're taking the stones to be the dead animal. So, in a sense, that there is respect. A, there is a. It's not just respect, but it's like, it's like it. Reverence it's to teach life. you. It's to teach you. Yeah, a reverence for life. It's to okay. teach you that. Okay, I'm with you. That the way that you, if sure. this is the extreme of how great you treat this general concept, so you, you wouldn't even cook so a dead animal. So you would see the reverence for the dead body and the care that's taken in the same light as, as this kind of deal. So you would see, okay. you would see a, a general, in other words, if you would go so far with a with dead animal, how much more so would you be you know, gracious and compassionate to a living animal? Yeah, good. Um, I, I would note, final comment on, on your comment, is uh, I don't think we want to compare this 
particular command yeah. with the swine command. Well, um, we'll go to the altar in a minute. I'll let you do that. But to the swine. Because I don't think that the swine is mentioned three times. I think we get the swine twice. So this is actually more important to God, quote-unquote, than the swine issue. I mean, I mean, it really is. I mean, the fact that it's three times and it's verbatim all three times, to me, as I look back on my own life, now seems complete folly. How do you simply ignore it and say, I, I can't figure that out. I don't know what I should do. I won't do anything. Or, well, it can't possibly apply to me. And, you know, pick your reason. Uh, you know, I don't have a farm. I never kill goats. I, I don't boil milk ever. You, you know, whatever. You know, none of those apply. Those are the normal squitcherini gentile cop-out answers. Yes, sir. Uh, this is great, by the way. This is what class is all about. Right? Let's, let's go at it. There's, there's no personal thing here. Let's just argue. I get Two of the three references where this scripture is in close proximity to a reference to the festivals. Bikarim in both of the Exodus passages. It's the Deuteronomy one that's different. What's going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you could make an argument that if it's if the if the surrounding context in two, in those two references is related to the festivals, it there's absolutely no. To, to get to this as a food commandment because that's what it's all the, about. The festivals are all, all about <laughs> eating and the drinking. Activity in the feast is feasting. That's what's called feast. And, yeah. and I was, was going to make that point where um, even in the Exodus passages prior to and in, in the same context, it says, You shall take the inauguration man and cook its flesh, and you should take these offerings and cook them. So there, there is a bunch of cooking going on. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. So, so it's not divorced from the context in which it's in. Yeah. So we need to watch how we cook it. Okay. Okay. And, and I guess the one, I guess the one argument I would make against the example you gave is, to the extent we're talking, you know, to the extent you know, the reference to uh, ascending the steps, uh, which is a reference to ascending the steps of the altar, or or, or the, at least the steps going into the temple. Right. That's your. That's your. I think it's the altar. That your nak- yeah, that your nakedness, yeah, that your nakedness might be not might not be seen. And I think I think the problem I would have with using that as an example in comparison to this command is because the altar was most holy, right? It's it's a most holy instrument, and those stones are most holy. And anything that touches those stones now is holy, which is why the altar itself has to be atoned for, and all of these other kind of things. So. The fact that the, there would be uh, a, a special a reverence commandment or a, or a to not expose yourself to the stones is, is, I think, really speaking to the the level of sanctity in the temple itself, or or of the stones rather than the guy. Yeah, good, good. Yes, sir. Uh, just to go back to that alternate interpretation again, I think. Uh, Which one are we on now? The no, this, no, no, we're talking about halav. The, the fat, right. So it just really makes sense to me uh, uh, in terms of allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. So what I was doing in soul-searching this past week after the first two sessions, uh, you know, we've embarked on this topic, is to look at is there any other place that, uh, that would expound or make clear these mysterious references. And so to me this seems to make the most sense, again, because 
they're cited in two instances in, in Shemot in the context of sacrifice, and we know also that it's in the context of sacrifice in Nebarim. And where are sacrifices explicated? Where are Kiddushim, or things concerning the altar? And where does it get really bloody? In Vayikra. So I, I think it fits. Hmm. For me. That, sorry, that the word... Okay, so Kalev is the... Because it appears the, the majority of times it's a fact in Vayikra. Is, so that, that's, that's the point? That, 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 no, the the the, the tie in in, uh, in Vayikra and Leviticus is where uh, Deuteronomy. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Leviticus 22. The fact that we've got the temple involved with so many of the references of this word could lend credence to the fact that it was a, a temple kind of thing associated with this one as well. You shall, you shall not slaughter a cow or a ewe and its young on the same day. That's found in Leviticus 22. 28. Did you have something? I didn't. I was scratching my Scratching it. And just throw one more argument out against myself now. Um, one of the pro that was not listed that I think does play a factor in this, going back to the same Holocaust issue, but sort of extrapolating from that, um, if you've ever interacted with a Jewish person today, this command, is, or this interpretation of this command, at the very least, is actually elevated to the level of kosher, or appears to be. You can talk to a completely secular Jew, or almost secular Jew, maybe barely traditional, who isn't really that stressed about keeping kosher, and they don't mix meat and dairy. I knew a, a, a one girl who was not Jewish, she was Jewish, but she was not practicing at all. Right. Uh, totally rejected that. And yet, when she said, I don't, I don't care if I eat meat and dairy together, but I think about it anyway when I do. It's such a part of Jewish culture, such a part of of the way that they view how they should eat, that even people who don't think it's wrong still realize it's happening. Yeah. Which to me, the very least, means that if you have any interaction with Jews at all, and you want to present yourself as keeping kosher, you're going to have a really hard time making that make any sense at all if you're mixing these. Yeah. That's well, not to say that you. That's the only reason you're, you should or shouldn't do it. I'm just throwing that out there as, a, as to me, as someone who has struggled with what does it mean? Yeah. What do I do with this text? That by itself seems to be a pretty strong argument. It's not going to hurt to do it, and it can and it can be very helpful to my witness, as it were, yeah. in interacting with Jewish people. Yeah, I I, th- I think you raise a good point. Um, if we look at the uh, if we look at the Judaisms of our day. Um, and we're going to associate with one of them um, more than others uh, and have a leaning towards one rather than others. Um, I think we can all agree that leaning towards liberal or reformed Judaism doesn't really cut the mustard. Um, You actually can be more conservative and stay in the church. Um, So that would uh, would move us then to... uh, conservative Judaism and uh, I, I think that uh, in conservative Judaism you've, you're missing uh, a lot of the commandments uh, and, and I think we would all agree that um, we have a very good testimony before conservative Jews and it's probably easiest for us to live out the command to cause the Jew to be jealous and zealous for the Torah 
because of our halakha and our own walk. So I would say um, we're, we're ministering to the conservative Jew. Well, you know, as much as you hate it, that, that leaves us somewhere between the conservative and the orthodox position. And then after the orthodox position, yeah, somewhere in there, conservadox, right? But, but after orthodox, you've got the Hasid or the Haredi. Um, so, yeah. So, so I would say that we're probably, you know, looking at perhaps the epitome of, of the walk would 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 approach the orthodox position um, in order to um, perhaps gain a larger audience that would be jealous and, and zealous for the Torah um, and uh, at the same time uh, be a good witness. So um, that being the case, you know, we can, we can look at uh, the conservative and even if they're thinking about it, we know that the Orthodox are doing it and uh, it is difficult to have any kind of um, lasting effect there if we're not doing it. Not, I'm not saying that's a reason to do it. I'm just saying, you know... I'm just saying it makes our testimony a bit illogical. It does. It does. I mean, you, you keep the commandments, what are you doing with this one? And, and we don't have an answer normally. At least I haven't. Maybe you have one, but I haven't. Yeah. Uh, now, this question may smatter anti-Semitism. We love those. Yeah, go ahead. We'll all make fun of you. Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to preface it by that. Um, when is it, uh, I guess we, we, we say, we say it with our lips, that uh, that the scriptures, the text of scripture, the written Torah, is is, is uh, final authority you know, for, our, for our life, for our walk, for our faith practice, for our halakha. So when is it that we, that we give uh, precedence to the mission? I am so glad you asked that. That is the entire question for the second hour. And I think, uh, isn't that cool? I, I knew it would come up. Um, I, I think there's no more slides. Did you, did you try? Really? What does that do? It does nothing? That's cool. Okay. So we're, we're going to take a break now. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll take a break now.